Welcome to Nature Revisited, the podcast. My name is Stefan Van Norden. On this episode, Prairie Up, we are talking with Benjamin Vogt, author and garden designer from Lincoln, Nebraska. But first, a word from our sponsor, Midwest Natives Nursery. Hi, this is Nathan Duffy, owner of Midwest Natives Nursery in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're pleased to sponsor this episode of Nature Revisited, featuring our good friend, Benjamin Vogt. Midwest Natives Nursery is a production and retail greenhouse operation that specializes in the sustainable cultivation of Great Plains native perennials. Founded in 2018, our plant selection has quickly grown to include over 300 different species of non-cultivar prairie wildflowers and grasses, all grown locally and pesticide-free with the goal of bringing nature back to our home landscapes, schools, public parks, and other local green spaces. From full sun to full shade, from areas of standing water to bone dry year round, from ground cover to the prairie giants, with bloom times from March to November, and in every shape and bloom color you could imagine, we've got the plants that will thrive no matter your environmental conditions, all while working to support pollinators and wildlife, lower your home resource usage, and be beautiful and aesthetically pleasing in your landscape. Our retail location in Lincoln is open to the public seasonally during the spring and fall, You can find more information at our website, MidwestNativesNursery.com, where you can simply search us up on Facebook or Instagram. Once again, we are delighted to sponsor this episode of Nature Revisited, featuring Benjamin Vogt, and we hope you enjoy listening. Benjamin Vogt is the author of the new book, Prairie Up. An Introduction to Natural Garden Design. Benjamin is the owner of Monarch Gardens, a prairie-inspired design company that creates natural landscapes and specializes in lawn-to-meadow conversions. Benjamin is also the author of A New Garden Ethic, published in 2017. Benjamin joins me to talk about his passion for prairie, why prairie is important, and how we all can make a difference. I really like the title of your new book, Prairie Up. It's a real call for action, a call to bring the prairie home. You did an amazing job with this book. And so reading through this, you really made it accessible to people. You really take it through a step-by-step kind of way of really showing people and helping people understand what it is to prairie up. I love the title. How did you come up with that? It's just it's just a phrase I started using a couple of years ago. I was, you know, I was starting to share pictures of, of landscapes I was working on. I just said, I just started saying, hey, prairie up. Come on, let's, you know. It's sort of a, an activist call to action. But let's start first with your passion for prairie. What does prairie mean to you? Oh, that's an excellent first question. Nobody's asked it quite like that before. Prairie for me means lots of things. It, of course, means a place and a feeling and an evocation of home or at least adopted home. 
and I've settled here in Nebraska for the last 20 years. And so for me, it's a, it's a coming home to, to where I live. When I am in a prairie, I feel things I have never felt in any other landscape. I feel absolutely connected. I feel absolutely embraced. Fears and anxieties just totally wash away from me, which is different than how I feel in a mountain or a forest or a lake or an ocean. All those places make me uneasy uh, compared to a prairie. So prairie is a place, but prairie is also a mission statement. It's, it's activism. It's saying these are landscapes that sustain us, have always sustained us, will always sustain us, and we have eradicated so many of them. And it means replacing urban and suburban lawns with more functional landscapes uh, that evoke home place. And for a lot of us, that's prairie because prairie, grasslands, these ecosystems exist in every state in the U.S. So what does gardening from a prairie perspective mean besides its environmental importance? It means welcoming diversity into our landscapes, diversity of species, diversity of plants, diversity of perspectives. It's very much a new way of gardening, but it's, and, and I think that also always extends to a new way of thinking because a prairie landscape, a grassland landscape, it's, it's based on stress, right? These, you, have, you have the incredible diversity of plants literally fighting and jockeying for position, and it's this battle, so to speak, that makes these landscapes so rich so sustainable, so environmentally and ecologically important. And it's, it's that diversity that gives them strength and resilience. And it's the same thing in our own culture. It's diversity that gives us resilience and strength. For those of us who aren't really completely familiar with the different terms, talk a little bit about the difference between prairie, grasslands, meadows, and even savannas, and how they're all connected. In a lot of ways, these terms are interchangeable. Certainly, prairie and meadow is interchangeable. Prairie is the French term for meadow. And to think of meadow as this open expanse of field of flowers, grassland, you know, it goes all the way to the horizon. It's just grass, 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 grass. And it, it makes up something like, how was it, one-third or 50% of eco-regions uh, across the world. Savannah is, is where you're going to have a grassland prairie dominant landscape and you only have a few trees here and there. It's a very, very open canopy. So it's not like a, a northern or northeastern woodland or forest where there's very little light getting down to the ground. These ecosystems, to varying degrees, they exist all around the country. The name of your book is Prairie Up and you're calling for people to change their local gardens, and landscapes. Can our small local gardens really make a difference? Oh, that's a very good question, too, because I, it's a yes and no answer for me. It's a, it's a yes in the sense that having these diverse landscapes that honor local ecoregions and ecosystems, you know, having them in places where lawn used to be is incredibly beneficial. A, a lot of species, especially ones that are mobile, like bees and butterflies and birds, they rely on islands of habitat, little islands of refuge, and that's what our gardens can be. They can hop, skip, and jump to the resources they need. Can one or two here and there make a massive difference? I do not think so. We have to have connectivity, and that means we have to have more than one or two in every neighborhood. We need to have dozens in every neighborhood because there are lots of species who are not nearly as mobile as 
butterflies and birds, right? But I think the biggest change comes in giving our neighbors, our community opportunity to see these landscapes as acceptable and as a, a good, healthy new direction to go in. Because right now we live in lawn-dominated suburban and urban areas that require uh, you know, lots of toxic inputs, uh, wasting fresh water, trying to maintain the green lawn, especially as droughts become more common with climate change. Just to see these more natural landscapes as, as acceptable and not abnormal, but actually normal and the norm going future in a climate change and mass extinction, that, that is the big goal. They are conversation starters. I started telling my clients, my design clients, that I think the easiest part in, in these landscapes is, is actually the planning, the digging, and the watering in. The really hard part comes in talking with neighbors and talking with your community and helping them understand, learn, and accept these wilder landscapes as being incredibly beneficial to, to all of us, not just wildlife, but humans as well. Which kind of answers my next question to some degree. What is the first thing one should consider when thinking of changing one's landscape to prairie? There are so many variables here. How much can you take on? You know, how much do you want to take care of the first year or two? Because that's when the most management is required. And then there's cost too. How much can you afford to do? Maybe, maybe you just start by making your foundation beds instead of them being a thin two or three feet deep. You make them a much wider six or ten feet deep. I mean, there are so many variables to how you start this, what you want to do. I am always a proponent for going big and just diving in, but you know, I'm a, I'm a radical guy like that. There are very few books, if any, that really help folks who are new to this sort of uh, design and ecological aesthetic and, and perspective. So I wanted to make sure that I took things very easily, very step-by-step -step and very clear so that folks who don't know much about this or don't have as much time or resources, they can still dive in and, and do an incredible uh, amount of work in their home landscapes. And you were very successful at that, I think. I would agree. Time will tell. So why is the choice of plants so important in a smaller garden, a garden that maybe will never perform as a real prairie does? Yeah, and that's an important point right there to start off with, is these smaller landscapes can never act as a, an older, established, and especially virgin prairie that's never been plowed or destroyed. We can never have that plant density. We can never have that, that soil microbe life going on. But that's okay. That's not really the point of these landscapes. The point is to connect us to the larger landscapes around us so that we work to protect and honor them as well. A lot of things to consider here with your plant choices. You always want to be aware of having bloom succession, something to flower uh, all the way from spring through autumn. That's for wildlife. That's for neighbors because neighbors see flowers as intentional. But I think the larger consideration I like to tell people is that especially if you're working with a front yard landscape and especially, especially if you're converting a front yard lawn to a meadow type garden, then you need to be very considerate about what plants you're choosing. What I mean by that is that you're choosing species that are not super aggressive and you're choosing shorter species. These species will be more neighborly. So in a lot of our front yard landscape designs, we are sticking with plants that are two to three feet tall and, and species that don't sow aggressively and don't spread too aggressively by root runners. But in these sorts of landscapes, this is where it gets hard. This is when I tell clients, this is where the real hard work comes in. It's not the planting and the design and the first year management. 
It's then having to stand up and advocate for the landscape because you are now an activist. You are now working against the flow. It can definitely get complicated, and I do try to dig into that uh, pretty deeply in the book. So what are ecoregions and local ecotypes? Okay, so a lot of gardeners are used to gardening by something called USDA hardiness zones. Hardiness zone measures the predicted coldest winter temperature that a plant can survive in. So here in eastern Nebraska, we're zone 5A, 5B. That's something like 15 to 20 degrees below zero. That's what plants can tolerate. Now, that is just one variable in plant selection of a dozen or something that we should be considering. So it's really not useful or effective when you're using native plants to your, to your local area. So this is where ecoregions come in. The USD also has ecoregion maps, and depending on what layer you're at, there could be a couple dozen ecoregions, or there could be hundreds of ecoregions across the United States. I like to use ecoregion level three. That's because that defines my tall grass prairie region here in eastern Nebraska. So I am trying to use plants native to that specific tall grass prairie ecoregion. That helps me select plants that I know that are adapted to the climate, that are adapted to the soils and the stresses. For example, if you're just gardening with USD hardiness zones, you know, zone five on the east coast has nothing to do with zone five on the west coast. Those plants are going to be totally different. Right, so gardening by USD hardiness zones is not effective, and you we want to be using you want to be gardening sustainably for local wildlife and local climate. Now, you also mentioned ecotype. E ecotype means I'm going to try to sum sum this up really <laughs> really easily here. Uh, ecotype means that you are gardening with a plant whose genetic origins are local or regional. For some people, ecotype means within a radius of 20 miles or 10 miles. For some organizations, it's 50, 100, or 200 miles. Uh, the goal is just to try and get as close as possible as you can, and it's really hard and it's really tricky unless you are growing things from seed, and then it's it's still a little bit difficult to find those local ecotype, uh, local ecoregion seed sources and plant sources. So what would you say to someone from, let's say, New England or or California who wants to prairie up? Well, you have prairies there too. I even have pictures of them in the book. You have prairie, you have grassland, you have savanna, all, you have meadow in every, every state in this country, right? And this is where I think people get admittedly a little bit frustrated because you have to do a lot of the legwork out here. There is no book that exists or should ever exist that says, okay, this is where you live. This is the plants you should be using because every specific site is, is incredibly different. You have to learn your ecoregion. You have to do the research. You have to learn the plants by looking at websites, looking at your books, and then just trial and error over the years. For a lot of people, this is what makes gardening seem difficult. And for other people, this is what makes gardening naturally feel liberating and empowering because you are taking control. Um, you are letting the plants guide your management, guide your design, and guide how the garden will, will look and perform. Now, something else I want to say is that prairie grassland meadow is also an early succession type of landscape. So when, when a landscape has been cleared, significantly damaged or altered, I know landscape architecture 
firms who are based in forested regions, you know, all their trees have been taken away, right? There just, there just aren't any trees. Everything's been clear cut. The first step in healing that landscape, healing the soil, bringing back biological diversity is getting grasslands and prairies established. Um, that's how nature, that's how the landscape heals itself, right? With that first layer, that first level of, of plants. And then over time, shrubs come in and trees come in and you eventually have a reforested landscape. So when would I know that I'm ready to create my new garden or landscape? One way you know that you're ready is when you have, when you are just tired of mowing every week, when you're tired of wasting money on watering and fertilizer and herbicides, you know you're ready when you start thinking about your landscape as more than something as, as simply being utilitarian for humans. You know that you want to start thinking about supporting birds and pollinators and bees and butterflies and lawns cannot begin to hold a, a candle. Uh, you, will, you will know you're ready uh, when your lawn is struggling, right? If there's a massive drought that comes through and it's been happening more and more frequently, you just can't keep the grass alive. Or you'll know you're ready when there's a shady spot and the lawn doesn't grow. It's just a bare patch of soil. So those are some ways in which you know that you're ready. How important are seeds? when it comes to the success of a prairie garden or landscape? Well, there's, there's, there's two ways to address that. I mean, you're talking about seeds playing a role as far as letting plants self-sow and fill in over time so they outcompete weeds. So instead of cleaning up the garden in the fall and deadheading, you leave all those seed heads there so the plants can replicate, sort of lead the way. When people talk about seeds, it's cost issue, right? People want to redo a thousand square foot front yard, but they don't have enough money to do it from plugs. And that's where it gets tricky, especially in a front yard, because I think it's really important that you control the design from the outset in a front yard landscape that's exposed to a lot of neighbors that a lot of people are going to see. When you seed in a meadow garden, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know how the plants are going to self-organize, and it will take two to three times as long for the plants to mature and grow to full size and really figure out what they want to do and where they want to be when you're planting from seed. I like using plants. I like encouraging plants. I like encouraging saving up money to, to be able to use potted plant material because you can control the design. You can have the garden established sooner, and people will hopefully be less likely to think it looks like a weed patch when you're actually planting out there versus when you're just waiting years and years uh, for the seeded plants to finally flower and do their thing. But once those plants have been established, do we encourage the self-seeding of plants? Yes, we do. Absolutely. We want the plants to fill in. We want the plants to show us where they want to go and how they want to be. Some plants will self-sow uh, more aggressively than we would have ever, ever anticipated, and maybe we do deadhead those plants and keep them from, from setting seed. Um, others will want to encourage more. Um, but absolutely, part of a natural garden is just letting the plants fulfill their ecological purpose, their, their life's purpose, and that is to flower and reproduce, right? And it's always astounding, even when I'm planting a potted plant material, putting them in purposeful locations in the garden, it always astounds me to see plants moving in, in, into places and moving in just in ways in general that I would not have anticipated because every site is different. That's what's incredibly exciting to natural landscapes for me, letting the plants guide the management and guide the design. In your book, you say perhaps one of the most important terms to learn is plant community. What is plant community? 
well, as plant communities, though, are composed of plants at, at different levels um, in the landscape. So you can think ground cover plants that are relatively short, mid-height plants that maybe carry the flower show uh, from spring, summer uh, into fall, taller architectural species. So we have these communities of plants that evolved to grow together in the wild, and they each fit their own ecological niches uh, within that plant community. So again, you have short plants, plants that are fine growing in the shade of taller plants, some plants that self-sow more than others, but they all knit together. So is there a way I can tell if my community of plants are working together well or that there are needs to be changes made? Yeah, and um, <laughs> working if they're if they're not working well together, you'll see one or two species dominate. Instead of seeing more balance and diversity, you'll just see one or two species totally taking over and smothering out everything else. You'll know that you might have to incorporate different kinds of flowers in there, different kinds of plants, or, you, or your management might have to change. You might have to think about mowing uh, different times of year. Or, I mean, there's. There's a hundred ways to approach this, right? And it all depends on the ecoregion and site conditions. If it's successful, then you know you you have good plant diversity and you have plants working at every every layer. Um, that's that's how you know it's working. So, how important are pollinators to our new gardens, and and who are some of them? Well, of course, pollinators and pollinators are, are always important, especially from the standpoint of plant reproduction and plants producing seeds, and then. And then that helps produce more plants to, to fill in these plant communities and fill in the layers in the landscape so it's more sustainable and climate resilient and provides even more habitat for even more species beyond pollinators, right? Bees are certainly the best, and we have 3,500 or 4,000 native bee species in North America. Um, those are probably the, the best pollinators out there, and it's primarily the females doing that work. Uh, of course, wasps will do some pollinating. Um, a little bit, just like butterflies do. We have beetles and all kinds of different bugs um, that will also be feeding on the pollen uh, of blooms and spreading the pollen around from flower to flower. Hummingbirds can also be pollinators. Moths are certainly pollinators. So these species are all incredibly important, not just for the fact that they're helping plants reproduce, but because they are the base of the food chain uh, for so much in the landscape. Without these bees, and wasps, spiders would starve, and spiders are incredibly important to our landscape. Birds, songbirds, 90% or so of songbirds feed just insects and bugs uh, to the babies in their nest. Those babies are in nests for roughly two weeks, and all they're just eating a steady diet of high protein, you know, uh, bees and moths and butterflies and larvae too, right? The uh, caterpillars of these moths and butterflies, an incredible protein source for baby birds. So it's a rich dynamic ecosystem and uh, Prairieing up does a lot to help it out. So do you think the message is, is getting out about the importance of prairie and what we need to do to, to stem the tide of its extinction? Yeah, uh, prairie is definitely in, in trouble. And meadows, prairies, savannas, all of it, these are the first landscapes to get converted because they're easy to convert to whatever you want, subdivisions, agriculture, monoculture. Uh, because you don't have to clear cut any trees, right? It's pretty much all ready for you. All you got to do is spray it down, plow it up, and you're good to go. I think natural gardening, whether that's prairie gardening or ecoregion landscape uh, like, like woodland, I think these landscapes, they are starting to gain traction, but we still have such a very long ways to go. 
um, there's still so much resistance in local communities seeing these landscapes as, you know, messy and weedy and host to snakes and rodents and causing fire issues. And so much of these things can be mitigated through careful and intentional management and plant selection and, and design. There's so many strategies to use. Even when we have larger public displays of these more natural landscapes, it's, it's important to involve the public in, in creating these landscapes and understanding their value and purpose. Out here in Nebraska, we either have massive drought or we have massive rainfall and flooding. That's just it. We have two extremes right now. So when you have these more diverse natural landscapes with, with thicker plant structure, helping to have uh, heavy rainfalls percolate slowly in, into the soil and into the groundwater. And so there is a lot of um, ecosystem benefit that goes beyond uh, habitat. So as you say in your book, prairie is everywhere. Just how important is it that we all try to make that statement true? that we all try to prairie up? I think we've already addressed in a lot of ways how important that is. Um, with, with, with climate change, our landscapes are going to have to be more resilient. And for, for most ecoregions, most states in the U.S. right now, uh, lawn is incredibly unsustainable, least of which is the water resources it takes to maintain it, especially in the warmer months of the season. The ecosystem benefits of short meadow landscapes instead of lawn, I think, are just innumerable from, from the habitat, from stormwater runoff, from cooling and cleaning the air in our neighborhoods. I think, I think cooling is something we think about just primarily with trees and how they shade surfaces, but we get so many of the same benefits even with a two or three foot tall meadow landscape instead of a lawn landscape. The, the space around your home is so much cooler as these plants transpire water into the air. It's also shading the soil surface and keeping it moist longer um, so you don't have to worry uh, about watering as much. So yeah, there's, there's lots of benefits and there's even studies that show that kids who are in these more diverse landscapes like a prairie, meadow, forest, whatever, they are exposed to more microorganisms that over time will help mitigate any allergies that they might develop. So they're being exposed to all these wonderful good microorganisms and microbes in the environment that help them be healthier uh, in the long term. And so many kids aren't exposed to these anymore because they live in urban, suburban, lawn-dominated, concrete-dominated, asphalt-dominated landscapes where they can't be exposed uh, to the nature they, that they evolved to grow up with. In your book, at the beginning, you talk about why prairie is so important to you. And I think that's an important part of what you're sharing is that, that nature has to be a personal relationship. Prairie is personal for me because it's something I can do to help. You know, I only live on a 10,000 square foot property. Luckily, I have lots of clients who, you know, you add them all together and we're doing acres and acres of gardens every spring and fall. And so I can, I can expand my footprint a little bit, but no, on 10,000 square feet, it's something I can do. I feel like I'm here in my suburban neighborhood. I am like a stone in the middle of a river where the water is rushing at a thousand miles per hour. And I'm, I have to make a stand here. I have to say, no, I'm not going to have lawn. I believe that these plants and the wildlife that they support, the ecoregion that they represent is, is incredibly important. And it is, it is almost entirely gone. It's a travesty, not just because we're helping species become extinct, but we're almost, 
we're almost making ourselves as think that if we're if we're proud from being from Nebraska or being from this place or this region, why are we so quick to destroy it? Why are we so quick to eradicate the nature that 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 sustains us and gives us all of the wonderful opportunities we have? So I'm constantly thinking about design and these lawn to middle landscapes and, and how to make them appealing to people. But of course, I'm also thinking, gosh darn it, we're on the Titanic and the ship is sinking. So why shouldn't I be trying to do something incredibly radical, incredibly bold and incredibly loud? Because this matters more to me than anything I can possibly think of. And I can, I can do something and I can say something and I can inspire people on just 10,000 square feet. And I see it every day, how people are empowered and inspired. And I want them to feel that, take that home, do the same thing in their home landscapes because I know how life-changing it can be. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Benjamin Vogt and that you check out his new book, Prairie Up, as well as visit his website, monarchguard.com. Nature Revisited would like to thank Midwest Native Nurseries for sponsoring this episode. If you enjoyed my conversation, please share with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And I hope you will visit us at Norden Productions. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com for more information. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. And we hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, do remember, we are nature.